On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about Canada's, well, failure, not success, depends on how you want to take it, at the United Nations with the Security Council seat. Uh, we didn't get it. So what does this mean? Was it a waste of time? Are we going to go for it again? We'll talk about that one. Uh, have you lost trust in the police? There's a new poll out that says about 9% of Canadians feel that their level of trust in police is down over the last month or so. Does that include you? And this day, June 17, for those following us on what day we're doing this podcast, this day in 1994, the most bizarre day in sports history. We will talk all about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Big competition today down in New York City at the United Nations. Canada, I mean, good good result, I guess, got bronze. Sadly, only gold and silver get an award. This was for the two United Nations Security Council seats. Three countries were in the running, Ireland, Norway, Canada. Ireland and Norway got in. We are on the outside looking in for the second straight time, or not second straight time we've gone for it. We went back in 2010 when Stephen Harper was prime minister. Uh, anyway, it was we were maybe going to find out results today, maybe tomorrow. They came in today. We didn't get it. So unless you've been hiding out from all news for the past number of years, I guess, you you would know about this. You would know that Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, has really been pushing. It's been something of a crusade. Some have even called it an obsession for him to get a seat for Canada on the United Nations Security Council. Why? Why? What would we have gained and what have we lost by not getting that today? Adam Chapnick is a professor of defense studies at Royal Military College. He is also author of the book, which there could not be a more perfectly written book for today. Canada and the United Nations Security Council, small power on a large stage. Adam joins us now. Adam, how are you tonight? Thanks very much for having me. Uh, Hey, thank you so much for doing this. As I say, I I don't know that anyone's ever written a book more perfectly suited for a topic. So so glad you could do this. Um, About a week ago, The Washington Post printed a story, and the headline was this, Trudeau's vain, pointless obsession with getting a UN Security Council seat. Is it vanity, and is it pointless? Well, let me me ask those questions. Is it vanity, is it pointless, or what did we lose? Or was there a really good reason why Canada wanted to go for this? Okay, so what I would start with is, if people think it's pointless, then the entire G20 must have their heads screwed on wrong, because Canada is the only G20 country in the last 20 years that has not served on the Security Council. So all of the significant countries in the world think that it is a good idea to serve on the Council, and I can explain to you why. There are really three reasons. Uh, The first and the most important reason is access. In other words, the five great powers, the U.S., the U.K., France, Russia, and China, are always there. And in in the case of this election, India will also be there for the next two years. So if you are on the Security Council, you have access to senior members of all those countries' administrations every day, 24-7, for two years. You never know when that's going to help, but it's certainly something that it's helpful to have. So that access you can't get in any other way. And for us, with, with, the two, with two Michaels, Michael Spavor and Michael Covert, being held against their will in yes. China, any access to senior Chinese officials would be a good thing. Uh, the second thing you get because of that access is relevance. There are 178 countries that don't have the same access that you have. And as a result, for two years, everyone wants to be your best friend because everybody wants to use you to get, to get to the more important countries. And then finally, the third reason is influence. Sometimes you can actually make change at the UN Security Council that makes a difference in the world, but there's no guarantee of that. So it's not as important as the access and the relevance. Let's go back to access, because that, that is a really good point. Uh, the, the five countries, there are a number of countries within the United Nations that can veto what the Security Council passes, right? I mean, they can pass something and there's countries that can shoot that down. Exactly. So the five permanent members, the U.S., the U.K., France, China, and Russia, can shut down any resolution that the Council brings forward. It takes nine positive re- votes to get a resolution through, and the, nine, and the negatives can't include any one of those five. If, if they vote against, then nothing happens. So it, the, the, uh, it sounds then like a, it's not about necessarily getting something passed as much as, it is, as you describe it. It is just being there and having the ear of those big countries. Yes, so it's really about building diplomatic capital, building relationships, and and being able to use your diplomatic capital effectively. I think 
unfortunately, much of the campaign was about what we would do if we were on the council. And in the grand scheme of diplomacy, that's actually less important than what we would have access to if we were Mm. on the council. Yesterday, there was news out that India was going to vote for Norway and Ireland. Was the, and and that was that seemed to be a big deal. Was this a foregone conclusion today? Did we know ahead of time that this was what was going to be the result? Yes, and actually we knew that for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is because India had already promised their two votes to Ireland and Norway because uh, Ireland started campaigning in 2005 and Norway started in 2007 and they'd made deals with India before we even decided we were interested in running. Hmm. So, so we knew there, but we also know that knew that India doesn't vote for us uh, on for to be on the Security Council because. We believe that the council should be reformed, and when it's reformed, we shouldn't add any more countries that get permanent seats with vetoes. And India believes the council should be reformed, and in that reform, India should get a permanent seat with a veto. And India basically will not support any country that doesn't agree with its position that it deserves a veto on the Security Council. So if you are going to, uh, I don't know if that's considered rocking the boat already, but if you're going to take a position that some of the countries that you may want their votes... Uh, if you're going to take a position that doesn't fit with them, yeah, you, th- this seems like we may have been banging our head against the wall before we started. Yeah, at, at that level, it's a little tricky. I mean, Pakistan loves us for not supporting India having a permanent vote. So Pakistan will always vote for us uh, in, a, in a campaign for a Security Council election. Now, I think that the, the point here is that when you do take strong public positions, you're going to please some and you're going to alienate others. And uh, the, so the challenge becomes, do you, do you pick your spots with your strong positions and try to avoid alienating too many countries, or do you just stand up for your principles? Uh, both arguments are legitimate in different ways. I'm not sure that Canada's position on reform had to be spoken so loudly in this mm. case, but uh, all this government has done it. The, the Harper government had the same position, and the Martin and Kretschmann governments had the same position before that. So it's not a partisan thing in this case. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting with Adam Chapnick, who is the author of the book Canada and the United Nations Security Council, Small Power on a Large Stage. Uh, that is the topic of the day today because Canada, its bid number of years in the making to get a seat on the Security Council failed today. We came third, Norway and Ireland get the two seats that were available and Adam, one of the things that, that is really, um, that a lot of people are asking about is the prime minister for a number of years has pointed to Stephen Harper's government's failure to get seats and said, well, that's because they were hawkish on the international stage in international relations. They were a little belligerent perhaps or aggressive. We're going to do this in a quieter way. We're going to be a little smoother in our international diplomacy. Ends up Trudeau got fewer votes than Harper did. Now, I don't know that the votes necessarily count, but is that a rejection of his foreign policy or is there something else going on that led to that not working? No, I, I think what's going on here, I mean, it's quite possible that countries voted for Ireland and Norway and not Canada because they don't like our foreign policy. But to be frank, our foreign policies, the three countries' foreign policies are very similar. Okay. Uh, if you look at what they were saying they were going to do on the council, there was hardly any difference between the three. The big difference this time, and to me, the big reason we lost is that Ireland campaigned for 15 years, Norway campaigned for 13 years, Canada campaigned for four years, and the first two years of our four we were so busy renegotiating NAFTA that we didn't really campaign. And so when you go up against very credible, reasonable countries that tell a good story about what they can do at the UN, and you give them a 10-plus year head start, uh, you shouldn't be that surprised when you lose. Uh, My take is that Mr. Trudeau was right to put in a bid for the Security Council, but he really chose the wrong year to do so. Uh, He should have chosen a less competitive year further in the future. Which would be when? Uh, To be honest, uh, the year that that he should have chosen if we didn't want to have to compete, if he wanted to have two candidates for two two spots, was 2029-2030. Now, I don't think he put in there because I think this government wanted to take personal credit for getting us back to the Security Council, and I think the politics got in the way of good policy at that level. I think so. I think the decision of when to run was the error that was made here. That was, that was the problem. Everything else kind of flowed from that wrong decision. When is the next open seat, though? When is the next election? When could we theoretically run again if we wanted to? So, theoretically, uh, there will be seats in 2023-24. Uh, so, so we could, we could announce a bid today if we wanted and to. And could, could, could we roll what we've done into that and have any reasonable expectation of success? 
So we could roll what we've done into it, but expectation of success, not at all, because what it would mean is we would be jumping into another contested election where the candidates available have been competing for a long time, and we would also make all the other members of our group really mad, because mm. those two candidates had, have been assuming that they won't have to run a difficult competitive election, and then we'd be jumping in like a bully at the last second. Um, that's not appreciated. It's not looked upon positively in the international community, and it's not looked upon positively by our, our neighbors and allies in, in Europe. So we could do it, and you know, it's possible that we could somehow squeeze out a win, but boy, we'd make a lot of enemies doing hmm. that. You mentioned uh, the two Michaels, and, and China plays a big role in this. China has two votes, correct? Uh, no, China only has one vote. China has one? Okay, I thought they had yeah. two for some reason. Okay. Nonetheless, uh, they also have a lot of sway. They're a big, powerful country. The two Michaels, the situation that's going on with Huawei and other things, uh, the prime minister in a lot of cases, the whole liberal government, even forget liberal, the government, the federal government has has tried, it seems, a lot of times in recent months and years to not be too strong with what they said against China. Do you think that's an economic thing because it's just governance and we don't want to tick off China? Or do you think that the Security Council vote and support was in the background of that? So my take on that is that the, it is, I'm going to take some of what the government has said at, this, uh, at their word. And what they've said is that the number one priority with China is the safety and security of the two Michaels. And if that's true, then they will sacrifice everything else. They will sacrifice everything else to keep those Michaels safe. Which means you don't poke the bear mm. if you believe the bear is willing to eat the people. Um, whether that costs us economically or it costs us in terms of credibility, I think that's the way the government is going. Is they've decided that the lives of those two individuals are the number one priority. Some Canadians will agree. Some Canadians will say the cost to our economy of doing that are so great that sometimes people have to suffer for their country. But this government seems to say that they will not do anything to put those two Michael's lives in any greater danger, and that seems to be what's driving their policy. And I guess we're going to find out reasonably quickly, now that we've lost this election, if dealing with China in a particular way was to try to get their vote, there's no reason to do that right now. So if we suddenly see a different foreign policy, that could say something differently. If it continues on, then we take them at their word, and that's really what they were doing. Yeah, I think you were absolutely right there. So, uh, just before I let you go, because we only have a few seconds left, you mentioned about 2029. Do you believe that we jump in right now and begin a campaign tomorrow to do for then, or do we rethink, or what do we do? So the sad thing is 2029 is now taken, uh, and uh, we oh. now have to put in for 2031, 2032. Uh, I think we should do so, but I don't think we should do so yet. I think that one of the challenges we have in Canada is that our two, lead, our two leading political parties don't agree on what the point of a UN Security Council seat is. I think we need to have a grown-up conversation among the two parties, putting partisanship aside, to recognize that there is real value in having a council seat. Then we put in our name, and then we campaign as a country, with all political parties being part of the campaign next time. And then we have a better chance of, of, uh, of success. So I think we have to have a grown-up conversation before we get back in, but I absolutely think we should get back in. Adam Chapnick, author of the book Canada and the United Nations Security Council, Small Power on a Large Stage. We love having you. Thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Has your trust, your faith, your belief in police gone down over the last month or so personally do you think less of police than you did a month ago or at least before george floyd and everything that's gone on since and all the protests and the claims of racism and blah 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 all that stuff i mean there's been lots of stuff going on do you have less faith in the police i'll tell you why i'm asking because there is a new poll out by uh, Leger, in a, uh, Leger in, here in Canada that found 9% of Canadians say their faith in police has gone down in the last month. 9%. So almost 1 in 10 Canadians feels less about police than they did, say, at the beginning of May. Now, I want to open the lines and, and hear if you are one of them, if you feel... Less faith, the same faith, more faith, I don't know, whatever. 905-645-3221. We 
or star 9900. Has your faith, your trust in police changed in the past month or so? Because heaven knows there's been lots of discussion, lots of people making lots of cases about how, you know, police are bad and we need to defund police and systemic racism in policing and on and on and on. There's been lots of things that have been said. Now, I should point out that while 9% of Canadians have said that their faith has gone down, 70% of Canadians still say they trust the police a lot or somewhat. So 7 in 10 still say they're quite comfortable, they feel quite good about the police, and they still trust them overall. What about you, though? Are, which side of the equation do you fall in? Are you losing trust or are you holding trust? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Should point out that a couple city councillors today made the case that Hamilton should be defunding the police. Not totally taking them apart, but that uh, some of the money that's going to police should go to other things. It's not necessarily because of a lack of trust, but it's going to be interpreted that way by a lot of people. Let me go to Fred first. Fred is up on the line. He's waiting patiently. Fred, how are you this evening? Not bad, Scott. How are you doing? I'm okay. Have you lost faith or are you still believing in the police? I believe in the police because the world is uh, kind of changed a bit, okay? But there's always been, what I'm going to say, a lot of people might like, when there's always the highway or whatever's come up, the city hall needs a problem, we have a lot of bleeding hearts. And we, when we're cutting down the trees and we replace the trees on the radio, on the link and everything, a lot of bleeding hearts were out there saying, don't do this, don't do that. Like, life's got to go on. And these people know that things change. There's good and bad and everything. But some of these people, like all these people now walking on the street all through the states and everything, it's just got out of hand now. Like, let's look at life. Let's go on. Like, you can't go on like that. And all these people getting the money from our government for different things, Scott, has to stop because they got to pay it back. But a lot of people don't want to well, pay it back. Well, okay, Fred, Fred, th- okay, okay, I'm going to jump in. I got off the subject. I'm going to jump in, Fred. I'm say that people have to go the way it is. Like, society's been like this for years. And the same thing, like, they're taking the black face off this, you know, syrup and all that. They've been there for years. But these bleeding hearts have bled so much that people are saying, okay, we better change. Fred, I thank you for the call. I'm going to jump in, but I appreciate it. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Do you still have faith in the police the same way you did? Or has your faith in the police gone down? Or or did you never have faith in the police? I know there are people out there who share that view as well. I, I'll tell you something. This question to me is difficult because I think there are, clearly there are the people who don't feel they still have the same faith in police. But if they called 911 or if something was happening, I'm pretty sure they still would call 911. Right, I, I, you may not think the police are the same, but I would l- like to ask this, these nine percent of people who say their faith in police is down. So, if some something was happening to you, does that mean you would not call the police for help? I'd be very surprised if too many of them said yes. However, you're listen. People are, are entitled to their view, and in the saturated situation we're in now, I'm frankly surprised it's not more than nine percent who feel less faith in the police. We will take, no, we won't take a break. I've got an extra little bit of time here. Um, I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Frank is waiting to get on. Frank, how are you this evening? I'm very well. You actually stole what I wanted to say, uh, Scott. Okay, I, go ahead. I, well, you can I, say I, it anyway. I, I sort of lend an, uh, almost an apocalypse of this to people that, who do you call first when you're in trouble? Well, yeah, I, if you're going to be burglarized, you call the police. If somebody's offending you and you can't, you know where he's at, you're, you're going to go to nine eleven. You can call. Them. So you can't. Why would you want to lose faith in the in your police when you need to resort to them as your only source to protect you in a case of a, in a critical situation? 
Frank, I appreciate uh, your call, and I, I got to take a break now, but I appreciate the call. Thank you so much for calling in, and I agree with Frank. That doesn't mean, for the record, for those who are saying, wait a second, you're now saying nothing ever happens bad with the police or all. No, no, I didn't say that. I understand, and we'll talk about this after the break. I understand there can be bad cops, and people can do bad things. I, I'm not, I am not washing all sins away here and absolving people of everything. Not at all. But Frank is right. When you run into problems, are you calling 911 or are you not calling 911? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. A new poll that's out by Leger that says 9% of Canadians say that they have less faith, less trust in police in the last month or so based on everything that's been happening. Want to know if you feel that same way or if your belief in police is unwavering or if you never had belief in police. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Paul is waiting patiently to get on. Paul, how are you this evening? Well, good afternoon, actually. A good evening and a good Wednesday evening to you, Scott. Uh, Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I'm in an industry that uh, requires the police on a, on a regular basis. And, okay. you know, the thing is, when you call them, they, they tend to show up on time or they, you know, it, it takes a while. The thing is, we really don't know what's going on behind the communication desk of what's more prior to or is considered priority to to what's happening in the city. And, I mean, I, I looked at it last night. I mean, I, I live in the west end of Hamilton. And to be honest with you, I had a police officer here doing a fabulous job. She was just great. And there was an accident that happened out here, and one of our uh, residents down the street here just went completely ballistic on her because his vehicle got into an accident. She said to him, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to report it, and, you know, please carry on. She's dealing with something else. And literally, I think people don't really have a great view of what is happening with the police in today's society. And you know what? And I understand, you know, back in the good old days, you know, things happened then back then. But nowadays, life has changed and, and, uh, and people have changed. And it, it's more, I, I don't know what the word I can, I can use right now, but I, I think they have to be more on the ball. And they are on the ball, but they need to actually be more constructive. And they're doing the best they can for the resources that they have. But if you're going to take those resources away from these people, uh, I don't know where we're going to be going from uh, today to next week or next year to the next 20 years. I mean, Paul, is- I listen, I'm going to jump in, but I, I really appreciate the call and I appreciate the thoughts. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to go to Michelle, who is waiting. Michelle, how are you tonight? Good. How are you today? I am well. Are you someone who's lost faith, have the same faith or never had faith in the police? Um, I think that because this is how I view it. So police are given orders from government they get their mandate from government right uh, well yes but in in indirectly and then from senior officers and administration but yes okay so, so and then also that you know uh, there's also powerful law lobby groups that affect the government and how they do things so for example um, when in the early labor strife that they, you know, they would call the strike breakers to break up the strikes and whatnot. So while we don't have that specifically today, it's morphing into something else. So for the individual officer who's just trying to do their job could find themselves in a heck of a mess if they don't do or if someone in the community perceives them as being doing something wrong. Michelle, thank you for the call. No, no, thank you. I appreciate you calling. Thanks for your thoughts. Let me go to Dave. Dave, how are you tonight? Is that you, Scott? It is, Dave. How are you? Dave? Is it Dave? Yeah, is that you, Dave? I can't quite hear you, Dave. Are you there? Or Scott, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Who am I talking to? Great. Yeah, Dave, how are you doing? Dave, okay. Yeah, Yeah, so... What I would say is, 
You had me confused. Yeah. I thought you were saying, thinking your name wasn't Dave anymore. Okay, Dave, are, are you, what's your belief on the police? The same, worse, or no different? Well, I think uh, I, as far as government institutions go, I would probably say that police are on the higher end of the scale as far as having faith in the, any government institution. But uh, I think uh, people talking about defund the police are maybe not thinking about what's going to step in to take over that uh, that requirement. Uh, probably what we're being set up for is some type of private uh, organization to come in and take over the policing role in communities, which I think would be a lot worse than what we're dealing with right now. Dave, I, th- I thank you for that. I got one more call to get to. I want to get to Sophia here. Uh, Sophia, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Where do you stand on this? Has your faith wavered or held, or were you never having faith in the police? You know what? I mean, I'm kind of indifferent to this, but it depends on who you ask. Now, that poll that you said there was a 9%, um, 9% or 7% people that don't trust the police anymore, it, it all depends on who you ask. Um, if you ask a Caucasian person who really doesn't get you know, stopped for random issues, like lane change or having your four ways on when you shouldn't. It, it just depends on who you're asking. I'm a visible, visible minority, and I grew up in um, a predominantly Caucasian um, city. So my family was more targeted than, I guess, a Caucasian person. And then, of course, when it comes to, to you know, black people, they're more targeted with police. So I think it depends on who you ask. Um, do I trust the police? Absolutely. Are there bad apples um, in every kind of government or any kind of society? Of course there are. But, you know, uh, what I think is important is that they need to be trained more. And maybe what needs to happen is that the police need to be in areas that that are they're not comfortable with to get training and and to to see the culture in that area let's say for for certain cops to go into jane and finch and and be there and sit there and talk to the people of that community sophia it's a great it's it's a really interesting idea i gotta run because i gotta go to a commercial break but it's a really interesting idea and i thank you for calling in and sharing it you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml we are talking about a poll that Leger did that showed that 9% of Canadians say that their faith in police has dropped in the last month, thereabouts, with everything that's been going on. And I'm asking you about whether that includes you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Has your faith in police diminished or is it the same as it always was or has it never existed? And as we're contemplating this, and Sophia, who was just on at the very end of last segment, said something that I think is kind of interesting. In fact, really interesting. And I think it's something that we need to spend, uh, to, to point to a little bit. And that is when she said, and it's, I know it's a cliche, but there's bad apples in every bushel. We get, we get the idea that there are some bad cops. That's, there's no question there are some bad cops. We've seen some bad cops. This guy in Minneapolis, it, it, there are cops that have had shootings where it's a split second decision and boy, it's really hard without being in that particular cop's shoes to understand the thinking. This was not that. So we can look at this cop who kneeled on George Floyd's neck for eight and a half minutes, eight and eight minutes and 46 seconds. And we can say, look, that's just, it's wrong. It's wrong. And, and you don't have to be anti-police to say that's wrong. But every profession has bad actors in it, has bad performers. I mean, let, let me throw something at you and listen to the whole thing before jumping to a conclusion about what I'm saying here. A couple of years ago, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection said that 1,300 Canadian students had been victims of sexual assault by teachers or other school employees in the past couple decades. And in the States, a group called Stop Educator Abuse, Misconduct, and Exploitation said, get this, three and a half million students reported having physical sexual contact from an adult, usually a teacher or a coach. Now, I find that last number ridiculously high. I can't believe that it would be that high. Nonetheless, we have cases of teachers or coaches, but people involved in school who have done bad things to students. Should we 
defund teachers? Should we defund education? Should we say teachers then as a group are bad? No, there are some bad teachers, just like there are bad. Pick your profession. Everyone has it. What about doctors? Well, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported back in 2016 that 3,100 doctors in the States had been disciplined by their medical boards for sexual misconduct. So do we then say, well, you know what? Doctors are a problem. We've got to defund doctors and we really got to crack down on what doctors are doing. No, what we say with both teachers and doctors, and by the way, to be clear, I'm not arguing the point that, the ridiculous point that I'm saying there are bad people in every single profession. What we do is we should, what we should do is make sure the rules are in place to say, if you are one of those people who is doing bad things, you are disciplined, you are dealt with, you don't come back, you don't work again in that line of work. We don't want you doing that. But every field has this. This is not unique to police. I Now, I do understand one other thing. I understand that police carry guns. That puts them in a different position. But again, when you're talking about doctors or teachers or any other group who are doing horrible things to kids or whatever else, those bad ones in that field, to simply throw a blanket, and this is what... Apparently, you know, when, when whoever it was, maybe it was Sophia last segment said, look, the, you know, I, I, I think she said that, you know, she has had issues. Her family has had issues. And so, especially for black people, you could understand this. Well, yes, I, I do. I, I mean, you hear these stories. What I'm surprised by is you would expect then that those people who have dealt with this before, who have dealt with cops, who have done bad things, their perspective of police would not have dropped recently. It would have always been bad. The, this poll says it's in the last month that the belief in police has gone down. If, you, if you're someone who's a, a, a black person who's been stopped by police for no good reason or targeted by police, I'm presuming you your thoughts about police has always been poor. I don't know why suddenly, now maybe just hearing other people's stories, I guess. But it, it is, it is a, it's an answer. There is an answer to this. And I, I had a, a quote that I was, a, a clip that I was going to pull up. I, I don't have time to do it right now, but we talked to Clint Tulin, who was the head of the police union here in Hamilton a couple of weeks ago on the show. And I asked him about chest cams, body, ca- body cameras for police, which is the thing that now a lot of people are talking about. And I, I don't know if I was surprised or not. He was all in favor of it. He was fully in favor of this. Because you put the, this, there are solutions to all kinds of problems. And this is one of them. Now you put a camera on the police. It costs some money, but you put a camera on the police. If the police misbehaves, we can see it pretty quickly and deal with it. And if the police are doing what they're supposed to be doing, but get accused of something, we can deal with that too. We're in a situation now where we almost have to do the body cameras because I don't believe you can disassemble an entire police force. Good luck to Minneapolis if they want to try it. I think that's nuts. And I'm not sure that I want to be defunding police because there's other problems there too. Body cameras though, I think you're, I think it's a pretty simple, there's always going to be complications, but it's a pretty simple response to start deciding if in fact the police are as bad as people, this 9% perhaps now believe they are. If they're misbehaving and they're wearing cameras, we're going to find out pretty darn quickly. And if they're not misbehaving, suddenly maybe we're saying, huh, some of those complaints maybe aren't justified. I don't know what the right answer is, but if we had cameras, we could probably find out, couldn't we? You can go look up the poll numbers and the other details about this. Uh, Again, it's a Leger poll. It's all online. Um, Take a look. See what you think. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy. Now, we have not had, I don't know if we've had him on before. We, we should have if we haven't. We may have once upon a time. The first time I ever did television. Now, I don't do a lot of television because, you know, this face. But the first time I ever did television, it was during a Bulldogs game on Cable 14 during the playoffs. And this guy was the host of that show. He also used to co-host a sports show in Burlington. Years ago with our buddy Bubba O'Neill. His name is Steve Foxcroft. Steve, how are you tonight? 
us back Hello, a few Steve, years there, there didn't you? I had to go back a few years, but you know, that's, uh, that first time that I ever did TV, it was cable 14 and you know, yeah. I was so scared that day. I was terrified that day. And I'm thinking to myself now, like why, but, um, it went okay. You know, we didn't, we didn't we libel did anyone. Care. We didn't slander anyone. We didn't, uh, give the wrong team name. It was okay. We did well. And the team was good. So that made it, made us look good, right? We had good things to talk about back then. Yes, the the team was good, and and someday, you know, another time you're on because I want to get to the other thing. We'll t- I'll tell us, or you may not even remember, but doing a cable fourteen show where you were hosting, and one of the guests had the hydraulics broken on his chair, and it became impossible. Oh, well, let's just tell it now. What the heck? There yeah, was a guy. The there was a there was a panel, and it was Rick Natris and yeah. me and somebody else. And we were all big guys sitting on these chairs and you are introducing us as we go from left to right. And it's here, Stanley Cup champion, Rick Natras and Scott Radley from the spec. And, and then we get to Dave Rashford, Dave, who is a, was a wonderful journalist. He's a great PR guy. And, um, sadly his chair, he was smaller than us to begin with. And the hydraulic on his chair had broken. So by the time the camera pans at head height from Rick and me and whatever, it can't find Dave because he has sunk down. So his chin is almost resting on the top of the desk. Oh, that was so funny, wasn't it? And, you know, we tried the show must go on too. So we did our best, but I think Natris and I had used that chair so much that it obviously was worn out and then poor Rash got it. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, again, when you're new on TV and you got some nerves and then something like that happens, I don't think I was able to talk cause we were laughing so hard for, uh, for a while. But anyway, uh, I want, I mentioned off the top, Steve, that today is, I don't think there's even a competition. Today is the most un, an anniversary of the most unbelievable day in sports history. Here's what happened on June the 17th, 1994, 26 years ago today, game five of the NBA finals was on between the Rockets and the Knicks. The New York Rangers had just had their Stanley Cup parade earlier in the day in New York because the Knicks had their game at night, so the Rangers couldn't do it at night. The U.S. Open was underway, and the World Cup was kicking off that day, and all of it, every last bit of it, ended up being usurped because, do you remember what happened to top all of that that night? Yeah, the O.J. Bronco uh, slow ride through... uh, through LA. And you know, the other thing with the U S open, I think it was Arnold Palmer playing his last round. I think you're right. I think it was Arnold Palmer's last Mm -hmm. round. It wasn't a good round, but it was his last round. He went through and, and then Ken Griffey did something that day too. Like it was a, like you said, huge sports day. And all of it though is lost. Like if you said to somebody, Hey, how was Arnold Palmer's last round ever? And it was bad, but we know that now nobody remembered. And if you said what happened in the, uh, Stanley cup parade, nobody remembered because as soon as that OJ chase happened, that became, you know, I hate to say this because you like to think like moon landings and things are really important. And this really in the grand scheme of things wasn't, but it was a, where were you moment? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, Remember, because it had the helicopter coverage, and then he was waving a gun around. But I think the public and everybody knew that everybody was safe, except for maybe him and his buddy Al Cowings. Like, nobody was, like, they were kind of trying to chase him down at different times, too, and and people were... Where were you, Steve? Where were you when that was going on? I I was just at home, but glued, absolutely glued to my television. My wife, I, I think I've told this story before, and if I have, and you, people have heard this, then forgive me, but uh, my wife was having a bridal shower for a friend, and to get to the basement, I had to go through the living room where all the women were sitting around doing bridal-y, showery stuff. And as I walked through to go down and take some food down to the basement, one of them, who I knew well, whispered to me, if anything happens, let me know. And you know, minutes later, I popped my head back up from the basement, and I just said to her, they're chasing OJ down the highway. The entire bridal shower, bows, presents, food, platters, the entire thing picked up and moved down to the basement. And they spent the entire bridal shower watching the OJ chase. You know, what I found fascinating too in the days and years after is a guy, because we're both kind of sports guys, Al Michaels, a guy 
who we still see every Sunday night, right? Doing football, calling games, yep. calling the Olympics, calling the Earthquake World Series. Like this guy is synonymous with just big events in our lifetime. And he kind of indirectly was involved in this because he was a neighbor of and buddies with OJ and Cowlings and were tennis partners. And I remember hearing him tell the story of how he came home. And back then we didn't have voicemail. It was answering machines. And he had been covering something. He comes home on his answering machine is OJ saying, let's play tennis. And it was the day of the, um, the murders. But then in the ensuing days, Al Michaels was put in a weird spot because he was buddies with OJ. He was buddies with Robert, or who he calls Bob Kardashian. And he was also loyal to his network. And Al Michaels knew that there was a gate. So all the media, all the broadcast trucks, like dozens of them in media were parked in front of OJ's house, if you remember. And everyone's waiting for OJ to make an appearance. But Al Michaels had talked to OJ and Kardashian on the phone and knew that he wasn't there. So he phoned his buddy, Ted Koppel, who was the world news tonight guy. And like, he was like the newscaster back yep. in the day. Right. And he knew that Ted Koppel wanted to be 1000% correct all the time. So he said to him, like, I know, I can't tell you how I know, but don't report that OJ is at his house because he knew he was at the Kardashians. And then, and then, of course, the Kardashians, like that name, right? And then what it happened? It all started there. Yeah, it all started where there. where it all started. You know, and, Al Michaels really missed an opportunity, though, Steve. I got to tell you. He really like missed that. an opportunity to not come out with the catch line, do you believe in massacres? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> it might have been a little God. cold with his friend there, but... Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Now, I, I And I am told, and maybe this is a true story, maybe not, in the trial that came later and that everybody watched again. Uh, there was a very famous photo of OJ Simpson standing, wearing gloves that looked just like the ones that were involved in the case and a pair of Bruno Mogley shoes that were involved in the case, standing at the sideline of a Buffalo Bills game. Do I understand that you were there right. staring at him that day? Yeah. Cause I was back then, of course, this is all before he was the juice. And in Buffalo, like in Buffalo, you get celebrities, you get, you get sports stars at the game, right? But you don't get the juice. Like he was above and up and beyond. He was the Hertz guy running through the airports back then. Like he became a movie star. He went into movies. So I greeted, like, I just said, hi, like, Hey, hi, you know, that kind of thing. But then later on when that became the gloves and everything in that picture, became such a big part of the trial. I was like, holy smokes. This is like, how did, how did you know though, that that particular day was that picture? Oh, because they said, because they don't cover it. The juice doesn't come to Buffalo very often, right? Cause that's a national game. And even though the bills were good back then, OJ was only there a couple of times. So, you know, you know, when he's there, right? So I heard, was, I heard stories later on that he had been, was it Cookie Gilchrist that OJ was friends with? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there were stories and I can't remember who was I talking to one time who said they were sitting in the stands. Oh, it was, um, uh, oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, someone was sitting in the stands at Iverwin stadium and OJ was there watching a Ticat game one time to watch Cookie wow. Gilchrist. Right. And I'm like, you wow. know, if you go to a Ticat game and you, the guy in front of you, you're like, can you, do you mind like taking off your hat? I can't <laughs> see past you. And he turns around and it's OJ. It's like, no, keep your hat on. That's fine. And yeah, this was of course okay. before, this is before. Yeah. You know, the, here's, here's when you said it, it was like story of our lifetime. I went to LA. I wasn't always a big LA guy. And I went to LA two years ago for the first time. And I wanted to be a tourist. The top thing on the list that I made for myself was reenacting the Bronco freeway route. Without a gun. Yeah, without a gun, and it wasn't in a Bronco. But I did the ride. I wanted to see it. I wanted to experience it because, to me, it was such a big deal. And I wanted to say, how can he be going so slow on a freeway like this, right? I'm going, wow. Like, it was huge. Well, a year ago in May, my wife and I and a couple of friends were down in LA and we had all the 
schlocky TV stuff to go and see. We went to the Happy Days, the Cunningham's house from Happy Days that was there and the Golden Girls house that wasn't in Miami, but was there and um, on and on and on, all the stuff. And one of the things that I had on the map to drive by, because it was kind of in our route, we didn't have to go very far out of the way, was the house on Bundy Avenue where Nicole was killed. Right. And we're... I'm in the car and I'm looking and the GPS is set to go there next. And I'm like, you know, that that's, that's just, that's too dark. Uh, we're, we're here on hall. I don't, I don't going to the spot where she was murdered. Yeah. You know, with the driving the route on the highway, that's one thing, but going and saying, Hey, that's where she, that's where her body, that I said, no, no, yeah. I got to pull that. I got to pull the plug on that one. That was too much, mm. but, but yeah, it is, um, it is, if, if I wish, I really wish, and, and I've, I've said this with a few other things before, I've, I've always thought that when the time comes that we can do this and maybe we're there now to, I would love to see on nine 11 on September 11, one year, CNN or any of the networks play the entirety of their coverage from that morning, even beforehand and right through the day right. to be able to watch in real time as it was playing out. Cause it's it, it, like, we only see the highlight, not highlights. That's a bad word. The mm-hmm. clips, the, mm-hmm. and you don't get a sense of everything. Well, I would, right. I would say the same thing here someday on June, uh, June 17, start playing the net, uh, ABC, I guess, cause they had the mm-hmm. NBA game, start playing it and like do the whole thing for all yeah. whatever hours. And, and, you know, Right now, with COVID and everything, that would be the time to do it too. Like you could, you could do something like that because they're replaying everything. It seems right. So people would watch. People oh, would watch. Absolutely, and young people now too, because there's so many people. Like where this happened, they weren't they weren't alive yet. Like your son. Yeah, but do you think example. they get it? Do you think they understand it enough that they would mm-hmm. want to watch it? I think I think OJ Simpson. The moon landing is one thing. I think OJ Simpson is a is a generational thing that if you watched it, you get it. If you weren't old enough, I don't know that you'll ever understand why just a football player slash movie star who killed his wife is that important. Right. right. Yeah. Know. You have to apply it to someone in today's generation for them to understand the magnitude of the story. And, and who the would that be? Of the person. Like who would be a big enough st- star that it would equate? And by the way, we're not saying this person is or will kill, going to kill their spouse, but I mean, would it be Drake? If suddenly Drake was the guy. What about that, like Tom Brady? Tom Brady flips out one day and goes That's crazy. a good one too. You yeah, know? that's a good one. Like, I'm Yeah, that, that would probably be even a better one. I'm just trying to think of someone who's a... star wife, like, you know, the supermodel wife and everything too that everyone associates with. Like, and again, like we say, we're not saying this at all. We're not saying this is happening, but, but no, for young it, people of today to relate to it, that's the magnitude of it. But the other reason I kind of went with Drake, although Brady is good, is that O.J. Simpson wasn't just an, a, a great um, athlete and a movie star. Pretty much everybody liked O.J. Simpson. And right. even if you didn't like O.J. Simpson, you certainly didn't dislike O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. He, he, was a, he was a completely benign character that you either really liked or didn't really have a thought on. I can't think of anybody who said, oh, that guy's horrible. And right. so it made it even more shocking. And I, and again, so, I mean, among a certain generation, I don't think, does anyone really hate Drake? Does, I mean, maybe some right. people don't like Tom Brady because of all the winning he did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But find the, the person who's got the highest popularity rating mm. and they mm-hmm. then suddenly snap and do this. Wow. It, it's yeah. um, anyway. Fascinating, hey, isn't it? And to sh- dial it back today is wow. It's a memory. Yeah, uh, Ben in the studio here just said Rob Gronkowski. That might be another guy that you could yeah. sort of as a comparison, but I don't even know if Gronkowski, he was certainly, he's a great player. I don't know if he was in OJ's league though, as far right. as start. Anyway, I yeah. want to jump to something else really quick, Steve, just before mm-hmm. we uh, run out of time here. Right. Story today that Rowdy Telez, the Blue Jays' yep. potential first baseman and first base coach Mark Budzinski, who... I think most people, if you ask who's the Blue Jays' first base coach, they would not have come up with Mark Budzinski. Anyway, they are now accused. They rented out condos near Rogers Center in Toronto. They're Americans. They can't get here because of COVID, and they are now refusing to pay their lease, apparently. And so the landlords are saying, we're being stiffed by the Blue Jays here. These guys got lots of dough. 
and there I'm out. One of them said, I think about 9,000 and another one is 4,100 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have sympathy for the Blue Jays guys who can't get here and therefore, you know, we're, we're not going to pay our rent or do you say, come on guys, you're making enough money, 4,000 a month when you're making half a million or more, just suck it up and be good to the people. Where do you stand on that? I, I feel both ways, but I'm leaning towards, it's like what you said. Does anybody know the name of the first base coach? Probably not. Like we don't. So he's not making zillions or millions. And sometimes we all live to our means, right? And the one thing that makes me feel weird about this is when um, the landlord said, look, I could have put this on the long-term rental market, but I decided to do a six-month lease to a Blue Jay because they're Blue Jays. So I'm kind of saying, you know, obviously you're getting something about that from that. You enjoy something that comes with leasing to say to your friends, yeah, Blue Jay lives in my place. And maybe she gets tickets. Maybe she gets signed stuff or whatever. Because otherwise, how can you justify her decision not to have what she says put it on the long-term rental market? You know, so – and she's – She's got 8,200 of 24,600. So she's out 16,400. Not the end of the world because she also has her place back. Now, I understand there's a pandemic. It's tough to rent places right now, but it is the Toronto market. You're probably going to get it rented. So I'm kind of leaning maybe more towards the Jays because they're not the household guys who we all know who make the millions. They're, they're trying to make some money. They're not going to have long careers probably and try to make a livelihood out of this. So I'm yeah, trying to I, towards those. I, I, I get their point as well. On the other hand, they are, even though they're not playing right now, they're being paid, major league players are being paid anywhere between 500 and 1,000 bucks a day. Mm-hmm. So in the span of about a week, Telez could pay this. Plus he's, you know, got signing bonus and he's got money from last year. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, who who are the little people in this one who are going to be suffering? And if and already landlords, you know, people are already saying, I can't pay. I'm not going to pay. They're already behind. I think she rented to them maybe because of what you said, but also because, look, the Blue Jays aren't going to stiff me. Yeah. If anyone's well, not going to stiff me, it's a Blue Jay. That's the other thing. I think the team should step up. I did the math: twenty five thousand bucks for the Jays to make things right. And here's the other thing from a team perspective. They want landlords on Blue Jays' way to have condos and willing to rent them out at six-month terms because that's what they're going to have a handful of players every year that are going to be looking for six-month terms. So I think it's the team that should step in and say, here's twenty-five grand. let us let this go away. Let's keep our name good in the community, and let's have condos available going forward for our players to lease. So I think that's the end solution to all of this to make it go away. It is, uh, it's an interesting story. People should go take a look at it and uh, they can then decide on uh, whose side they're on on this one. Steve Foxcroft, great job. Appreciate you coming on today. We'll do it again. Thanks for the time. Always a pleasure, Scott. Talk soon. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.